Hi there. Welcome to this episode of the Money and Markets podcast presented by Roman Finance. My name is Steve Roman, and today I will be your host for this week's episode. I'm so excited and happy to have my first guest on the podcast today. His name is Alex Gaston, and he is a client service advocate for Hilltop Holdings, which is a wealth management firm based in downtown Dallas, Texas. Alex, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me, Steve. So let's give the listeners a little bit of a flavor into how we met. So about two weeks, no, not two weeks ago, I should say, about two months ago, I started my Instagram page at Roman Finance, and you were actually one of the first people who interacted with my page after a couple of days. I started to notice your comments, and you seemed very intrigued about you know what was going on with what I was posting. Uh, and, right. and so I figured, you know, after these last couple of weeks, we've been chatting a lot and having a lot of good conversation regarding financial markets. And I thought, you know, why not have you on the podcast and expose you to my crew of people, you know? So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Yes. It was, it was like a mutual, you know, almost like a relationship, uh, kind of that at first sight to where we both had mutual understandings on certain financial instruments to even thinking alike in terms of getting our podcasts up to kind of getting out there and spreading good financial wealth knowledge on social media and not actually, you know, giving out and dishing out the wrong information out there that most individuals fall for. So, you know, with meeting you virtually, um, it was uh, a work in progress and a blessing in disguise to where we both just had the same financial understanding. Absolutely. And you said an interesting thing there. I, I wanted to actually point out here in this episode is that we did meet virtually. And, you know, I was thinking a couple of days ago, you know, when I was younger, uh, and I'm sure you the same, you know, w- when we played video games, a lot of times we would meet people, Xbox Live, PS4, 5, etc., We'd meet people online and we would never meet these people in person. And for a lot of people, I think they got sort of these odd remarks from other people who said, wait, you know, you're meeting these people and uh, online or you call them friends and yet you've never met them before. And I think the same goes with online dating. The same had been the case until this pandemic is what I wanted to mention. You know, as of March of last year, it's become totally normal to have these kind of interactions with folks, uh, you know, what, what you and I have been able to do the last couple of weeks. So um, I find that so interesting uh, with, with what's gone on. Exactly. That's correct. And I mean, especially with the pandemic, I mean, it kind of forces you to be uncomfortable and meeting like-minded individuals as like yourself. And as soon as I came across your page, you know, I did do my due diligence to see, oh, hey, is this, you know, page worth looking into? Hey, is it like not fake? Is it the Forex stuff again? And so I went to the LinkedIn and, and I was like, oh man, this guy's legit. He has his own book. And you know, by the way, your book is amazing. I just bought it. I'm waiting for it to come in the mail. Thank so you. it's supposed to be here on <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> so I can't wait for that. But yes, yeah, so, I mean, you had a book and I mean, everything that we discussed through direct messaging and then we had a ice break phone call and that went over for an hour. We could have talked for hours. And so it was just, it was an amazing, you know, uh, to meet you virtually. And I hope we definitely meet in person one of these days when the pandemic's over with. 
Absolutely. And, and I want to mention one thing real quick to the listeners uh, right now is that it, based off what you just mentioned, before we get into your background, I want to mention that everybody who's listening to this right now, I want you to please do your due diligence whenever you're looking at an Instagram page, if it's a TikTok, if it's something someone said on Reddit or Facebook or anywhere, so, something that you see regarding finances, politics, I don't care what the subject is. I think it's so crucial in this day and age. We've seen gone, what's gone on you know, on Facebook, Twitter, and other sites. Just make sure you know what's going on and, and have that second source that you're looking at or third source. If you can get a primary source, that's best. But you, know, you have to cross-reference things quite often. I mean, I think maybe you could speak to this, Alex. Uh, I feel like we've, you know, people of our age have almost become accustomed to becoming investigators what you know, investigators have done for so many years. We're doing that every day, checking memes, making sure that you know facts are facts. If that makes sense. Exactly. I mean, every day it seems like as soon as it's almost like an algorithm with these either robots that these fake robot pages that express Bitcoin mining to forex trading, and you know these all these fake profiles that you just have no idea, and so they feed off of individuals like you and me. But we know better because we do our research to make sure that we are putting our money where our mouth is. And so, with the, unfortunately, with a lot of individuals as ourselves in our, in our age bracket, they're taking advantage of, unfortunately, a lot of probably hundreds of thousands of people and are just putting money into these Forex accounts, these stock trading groups that will beat the markets that they say and it's i wish that the sec could do something about that some you know regulatory agencies can look into this further because it's really doing a disservice to our to our generation yeah i mean that's a good point and and before quickly we get into your background i did uh, hear that Janet yellen uh, the new treasury secretary as of today uh, she did mention that she is going to look into curb, curbing Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, or that she was interested in doing so. Uh, but that is a topic for another day. Perhaps we can discuss that later. But my first question to you is, you just mentioned to me a couple of days ago that you just got a job as a client service advocate at Hilltop. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Uh, could, you tell, could you tell our listeners a little bit about what you are going to do in that role and how you uh, jumped uh, to that from your other previous roles that you had? Yes, definitely. So I, so the client service, excuse me, the client advocate, uh, it actually touches different departments. So it's not only just the tax side and the corporate actions, but you're actually the liaison between your fellow associates that are working side by side by you. And then also with sometimes with some high net worth clients that need additional assistance to where you know, like email inquiries to, hey, what is this position, you know, trading at today to uh, sending out uh, any type of correspondence that needs to be done in terms of dealing with tender offers, mergers, uh, major acquisitions that clients need assistance with, or even associates need assistance with. And so we touch multiple different departments under the operations umbrella at Hilltop. That's awesome. So I wanted to ask you, how did you get into the game of finance? When did you first get intrigued with markets? Uh, could you tell us a little bit about how you, you began your journey in, in the investing world? Yeah, so 
I began my journey, honestly, it would had to be over six years ago. And I was in California where rents are sky high rocketed to where you can't even rent out a room almost for 800 bucks. And I was sick and tired of that way of life. And I managed my money to where I was able to move to Texas and start a new life. And I was able to do that. Um, I stayed with my parents for a year to kind of get myself acclimated to the area. And I was able to kind of hop around in, in the certain job markets. And so I started my career servicing mortgages at Bank of America. And after that, you know, I, then I went into some accounting for a major uh, golf corporation called Club Corp. And then finally went into the brokerage services and investing arena at TD Ameritrade. And then that's when I hopped around to tax and retirement. I went into corporate actions, assisting with uh, various cash mergers and reverse splits and things of that nature. And then went into a little bit of banking operations from TD Ameritrade. And then now currently in an operational liaison position at Hilltop Holdings. And so I've been in now in the, in, in the game about almost four years. And then I got my SIE and Series 7, things of that nature. So just, you know, trying to keep trucking along and, you know, see where it takes me. That's awesome. Uh, congrats on all that. That sounds like a really good, uh, solid work history, especially for someone of your young age. Are you about 27, did you mention before? Yes, I'm 27. I'll be 28 next month, February wow. 25th. So I'm Very getting cool. up there. That's awesome. <laughs> good for you. Uh, I, I did want to Thank ask you. also, so as you mentioned, you've been investing for a few years. What do you think has led you to become the investor you are today in terms of, you know, books that you've read, certain things that you've taken away from the experience? Have you learned more from losses than from gains or times where, you know, things went your way versus they, they did not? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, definitely, Stephen. Um, what triggered me to get into the investing game and not actually be a trader per se is honestly learning about index funds. That was the first rule of thumb investing in the markets was, for example, the Vanguard VOO ticker symbol. And that was one of the major equity index funds that uh, my dad had told me about when I started. And then when I read Tony Robbins' book, The Great Awakening, he stated in there regarding index funds and how they were a cheaper expense ratio compared to that of, say, mutual funds and hedge funds. And so that's kind of how I got started. And then eventually I made my way as working in TD Ameritrade in the brokerage industry to kind of try that out on my own to, to, to see about some index funds and, and some individual stocks. Awesome. That's very cool. So right now, what are you looking at in terms of uh, your investments? H how are you allocated in terms of what you see with the different markets that we have right now? Are you interested in certain sectors more so than others? Yes. Yeah, so right now, what I'm really invested in and I'm really bullish on is the EV markets, such as Tesla, uh, going into tech, which is uh, some Apple shares that I do hold, and then also into the alternative energy, such as hydrogen fuel cells. And then also recently, I uh, decided to get into Bill Ackman's famous SPAC, uh, the Purging Square 
Tonetin spec. And so I've kind of tested out some of their warrants and, you know, we'll see where, where that goes from there. It is a speculative bet. So it is a very small percentage of my overall portfolio. Yeah, that, that's very cool. I mean, I actually, it's funny, I did hold that PSTH when, uh, from the time that it IPO'd in July to about a couple weeks ago, when I saw that it hit 27, uh, it just looked a little bit uh, overpriced or overhyped to me. But, right. you know, SPACs are very popular right now. So perhaps that is something that's here to stay. I'm not really sure. In fact, how about we give our listeners a little bit of an understanding of what a SPAC is? Do you think you could uh, explain that or would you prefer if I do so? Yeah, I can go ahead and explain that if, you, if you'd like me to. We don't have to get into the weeds, but I figured uh, just a minute explanation could help. Yeah, not a problem at all. Yeah, so what a SPAC is, it's a special purpose acquisition, excuse me, it's a special purpose acquisition company, and it's a non-operating publicly listed companies, and its purpose is to, it's a blank check company, and really it doesn't have any revenues, and it just holds a bunch of cash for a short amount of time to invest in other business ventures, such as private companies, mergers, you know, stocks, stock buybacks, and, and things of that nature. So that's kind of what a, a, you know, what the SPAC market kind of does. Right. And so the whole purpose with that SPAC in particular is that Bill Ackman is looking for a mature unicorn business, basically one of the largest takeovers probably in history in terms of a private company going public. So we'll see where it goes. That's definitely very interesting stuff. I mean, if that warrants work out for you, that's, that's going to be really good. I hope it does. As I'm just getting into the warrants as a, at a, as a cheaper bet, you know, instead of actually buying the whole underlying security. So yeah, we'll definitely see what happens. It is definitely speculative, but uh, hopefully, I, hopefully I can play my cards right. Absolutely. So I'd like to ask you because I've, kind of wrestle with this a little myself here. What do you think about how this market is playing out, especially in stocks, equities, uh, versus what you may be seeing in years past? I mean, you've been an investor for at least four years, as you mentioned. Can you tell us about how you think the market is shaping up? And what I mean by that is, can you give us a sense of where the sentiment is? Is it overly bullish, perhaps? Is there maybe too much euphoria or are things uh, priced in, in a way that you think makes sense for the future uh, earnings power maybe going into this year and next year? Yes, um, I do think that the some of the certain sectors are inflated. I think since the work from home has basically gotten a lot of bored people to go ahead and get into brokerage accounts, such as the Robin Hoods, to the thinkorswim platform, TD Ameritrade, Charles Schwab. And so I think a lot of people are opening up brokerage accounts and I think that they just believe that stocks are gonna go up, kind of like Dave Portnoy says, which is not true. But I think they have this belief that all equities go up. Wall Street bets? <laughs> yeah, that's another one, yep. <laughs> Listen, I was actually, two things quickly. I was, it's funny, I was telling my dad just today that I knew about Wall Street bets way before the pandemic started. I mean, I wasn't really in that scene, yeah. but I perused it every once in a while. I check the investing subreddit every day, but I don't always check that one. And it's funny when Kramer's talking about it on the show, I guess that's when you know it kind of went mainstream. Uh, it's it's almost like, I don't know, maybe a, an up-and-coming rapper wears some kind of 
jeans to some kind of brand of jeans or clothing. And then, you know, when he gets hot, then his, his uh, apparel gets hot as well or something like that. Right. Exactly. It's almost like anything that I guess Dave Portnoy touches, he can just use a Scrabble game and just pick whatever ticker symbol. And then it's just going to go up and people, you know, buy into it. Well, speaking of specs, there is actually one or or several run by this man named uh, Chamath. And he is, a pretty popular venture capital investor. And he's been very successful over the past 10 or 15 years. He was an early employee at Facebook. Interestingly enough, Josh Brown on his podcast recently called Chamath today's Warren Buffett with tech. And what he means by that is everything he touches turns to gold. I mean, he's done, I think, six backs in the last year or two. And I think four of them have found targets or three or four of them. And all of those have had at least 50 to 100% appreciation just by the deal getting done. And so uh, there's a lot of anticipation when it comes to certain names, uh, certain people who have their, this backing uh, of their reputation to, to uh, support them. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think he was, I think he's invested 40% in Virgin Galactic. I think that's one of the SPACs, Richard Branson's company, I believe. That was that was the first one, mm-hmm. actually, I think. And then uh, from what I understand, he he actually had so much success that he said, why don't I do a bunch more if I can raise the capital with low interest rates? Mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, why, why not? Listen, let's get some growth out of this uh, situation with low risk free rate, basically. Exactly. Exactly. I'd like to ask you a personal uh, question on my uh, investments. So I'm actually invested in Alibaba, as you know. What do you think about that one? What do you think about Chinese regulation on their tech giants? Uh, can you give us a sense of what you think about, you know, how that'll go forward? Yeah, I, I understand that Alibaba is one of your golden gooses, goose eggs right there. Since he's reemerged from the dead, Jack <laughs> Ma. <laughs> I like to say Jack is back. Yeah, Jack is back. Jack is on the attack, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I will say that I think with the easing of the Biden administration, I think that Chinese regulations trading over here on the American exchanges, I think will ease up. And I think it's a really great bullish indicator that Alibaba will have significant growth in 2021. I think that since president, not trying to get too political, but I think, you know, since President Trump is pretty much out of office now, that I I believe the Chinese regulators and the quote unquote Communist Party, I believe will ease up on Biden's administration. I would agree with that. And actually, I, I want to quickly shout out a friend here. Uh, his name's Eli Joyner. I happen to know him through a club at my school, Baruch College, which is a CUNY college. He happened to send me a chart about an hour ago that was showing the market share of the three biggest e-commerce giants in China. It's Alibaba, Pinduoduo, and JD. Essentially, the, the point of this graph is that uh, Alibaba's share had decreased from, I think, 80% or to 65% over the past five years. And of course, you know, that's not great news for the company. Right. However, the whole point of what I'm thinking here over the next five to 10 years is that the market, well, two things really. The first is that no one could hold 80% market share of almost anything. I mean, even Amazon doesn't have that for the US e commerce sector. At least I don't think so. Not yet. But 
The second piece of that really is that the Chinese market and the Chinese economy is getting so large and it's going to become even larger and growing at a faster pace than just about any other developing country on that, that level that even if you lose a couple of percentage points every year, you're still going to get a, a smaller piece of a much larger pie, similar to how VC people are totally fine getting diluted as long as their investment, you know, 10Xs or so. Exactly. So I find that very interesting. Exactly. I believe China's GDP as it so states that it's, it's growing so much more rapidly than I believe US GDP. And I think that's due to them, uh, you know, China having is more populous to innovation and tech. They're creating their own electric vehicles to compete with Tesla. So I think there's a lot of growth in Chinese companies and manufacturing. Right. And I think the key point that you alluded to is, is really the fact that there's so many middle-class cities, sort of like their version of, I guess, Dallas, or you might say like Raleigh, North Carolina, or Charleston, right. that are going to become something that's not Beijing or Shanghai, of course, but it's going to become their version of what we have in the States, not like a New York or Chicago, but you might have Dallas, Texas, San Antonio, uh, those, those sort of cities, perhaps even Denver. So when you have that much wealth that's going to be accumulated over the next five to 10 years, you want to be exposed to that, even if you're getting a smaller piece of the pie overall. At least that's my opinion. Yeah, totally agree. Exactly. Exactly. So now that we've spoken for about 15, 20 minutes, is there anything that you would like to ask me or is there anything you'd like to touch on? Yeah, um, since we met virtually uh, on Instagram, I understand that you are in the populous state of New York. And, you know, I come from California, the West Coast, and both of those states combined come up with a, a ton of people in the most populous states. So in, in my question to you, since you live in New York, what do you think would happen to the housing situation and crisis uh, with rents fluctuating to people leaving New York for southern states such as Florida or Texas, and especially the corporations? Well, I think that's a great question. You know, it's interesting. I've read sort of conflicting reports in a way because I know that there's a lot of people do that they are moving to the south and different parts of the country that are not necessarily close to a metropolitan area. Uh, however, you would think that that kind of leads to a drain or a or a downside effect on rent prices and home prices and it seems that rent prices are decreasing in New York City, but it seems like suburbs still have so many people coming from New York City out of New York City that the the land is still valuable in that part of the country in terms of like New Jersey, Long Island, et cetera, if that makes sense. I think it's kind of a multi-part question or or thesis. I think, you know, a lot of these smaller uh, cities, as we just mentioned, you know, Dallas and Raleigh, the, the cities that were growing fast or faster than New York before the pandemic, certainly this accelerated that movement. So I think they're kind of having their moment right now. And this is their chance to capitalize on people. I think you put on your Instagram story that there's some sort of law either either being passed in Texas or something like that, that was going to promote those capitalist businesses, you know, coming down for the uh, zero state income tax, if I have that right. Yep. And that in Florida. And, and listen, I've, I've also been hearing and seeing from Bloomberg and other 
news sources on Instagram and such that a lot of banks, including Goldman Sachs, are, are interested in moving parts of their business to Florida for many reasons, one of which is the fact that now it's fairly open. And you know, the second and third parts are the weather and also the favorable tax situation. So, you know, I think it's very interesting. I don't think a lot of people are going to up in their lives entirely to necessarily take care of the, of the monetary situation, unless it's dire, I suppose. But all I mean to say really is that I think it depends on the person. I don't think there's going to be a crisis necessarily like what we saw in 2008. I mean, that was just a structural issue. But I do think the dynamics have shifted. And I think people have sort of less, maybe you could say incentive, or they have less glue that would bind them to a certain location, if that makes sense. So that's my opinion on it. They have less of that lock that they used to have for so many years. You know, I need to live where I work and all that stuff. So right. No, I, yeah, definitely. I totally get it. The reason I ask is because I, I was recently, I just became a homeowner. Me and my girlfriend, we closed on a home in December. And I'm looking maybe 10 years down the road to see when the next crisis could be. And I'm wondering if it would be that housing bubble. Because since individuals are working from home, and they're going out to the countryside and moving away from the cities, since they now have the time and energy and even fiscal policy has helped them in a way of their savings to where they can now close on a house. And from what I read today is that there's only two months left of inventory in almost built homes. And so prices of homes have inflated since last year. So I'm just wondering, you know, if and when there would be a next, you know, housing crisis, or if that would be actually what would be the next downturn is housing. Right. I see what you mean. I think it's a very interesting question because it's something similar to what we saw in 2008 in that the, the just the rapid increase in price, although this would probably be more dramatic, but a key difference that I'm seeing, or at least that from what I can tell, is that this doesn't have any structural problem associated with it, at least not going back towards the bank. See, the interesting that the thing to think about here is that a lot of these people who are moving and and presumably paying for those higher price homes oftentimes have the income and the job security. Let's say they work for a white collar firm that can perform that work from home. So that's a little different than, you know, what we saw 10, 10 or 12 years ago when a lot of people were being led into these teaser rates and there was a lot of issues on the bank side and, and the, the lender side, if that makes sense. Right. So uh, I think there's there's definitely that component to it. But if I listen, I'm, I'm going to make an investment. I'm almost interested in New York City and some of those metropolitan areas. I don't know if I would want to buy something on Long Island as an investment right now. You know, it's a case by case. Of course, I'm sure there are good opportunities here, just as in your neck of the woods, as well as New York City. But if I'm, you know, kind of that like, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. I'm almost more excited about the metropolitan areas right now, but that's just my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. One last serious question. Are you a, a Knicks, Giants, Jets fan? Because I'm a Tom Brady fan and I'm not I'm a Bostonian, but I know that New Yorkers and Bostonians kind of don't get along sometimes. So I'm just curious on your take. I'm a New York Giants fan. <laughs> oh. I've been, I've been a, yeah, I've been a Giants fan for my whole life. 
Uh, I'm also a Knicks fan. Not a huge fan, though, I, I must say, but I can say that I do enjoy watching basketball. It's probably my favorite sport and has been for several years. Uh, I've, I've fluctuated in terms of my, like, interest in all the different sports. I suppose that that could be uh, fairly common, but point here is that I, I'm a Giants fan, I'm a Mets fan, and I'm a Knicks fan. So those are my teams, all blue. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I respect it. I do respect it. Um, that was one of Tom Brady's Achilles heels uh, a long time ago, <laughs> but it's forgiven. It was, but <laughs> let, listen, man, I can't describe to you how awesome it was to see the Giants win those two games. I mean, as someone who hadn't really had that ever before, especially as a younger person, very cool. You know, I'm very much aware though now of how rare it is to have that happen. And I appreciate it, even if they can make the playoffs, but I would like to ask you on that note, how did you become a Tom Brady fan? You know, you're not from Boston. So give me some of that background if you can. Yeah. Um, it is a unique situation because all of my friends back home in the Bay area and Oakland, they're like, they oust me like you're a Tom Brady fan. I mean, Oakland Raiders fans, they hate Tom Brady because of the tuck rule in 2001, you know, and I, yeah, <laughs> like when we were like five, right, right. right. And, and ever since then, um, I actually started watching the Patriots in 2000 when Drew Bledsoe was quarterback and, and J.R. Redman and the old school, you know, Willie McGinnis back in the day. And I started watching them then. And that's kind of how I got into the groove of the Patriot way and then kind of following Brady into his last days in, in Tampa. And so I've been following ever since almost for 20 years. And so that's, I just fell in love with the guy. Pretty cool. I mean, listen, I, I can respect it. I mean, I'm not a Tom Brady hater. I think he's, he's a wonderful quarterback, likely the best ever you could say. So, you know, I think that's awesome. I, mean, I don't think you have to be from the area of where a team's located to be a fan. I think it's, it's pretty cool when you can, you know, respect uh, those those different players for what they've done. And it seems like you definitely have a very uh, great affinity for him. So that's pretty cool. Do you follow the Patriots still or, or catch up with what they're doing? Oh, yeah. Cam Newton? Oh, yeah, yeah. I knew Cam Newton wasn't the face of the Patriots. I mean, other than the record and, and, and things of that nature. But he just did not fit with the Bill Belichick scheme. It just it didn't fit. Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting experiment, but we'll have to see how it moves forward. I mean, I'll be frank. I haven't followed up whether he's still on the team or if they're looking to keep him or trade him or whatever the deal is. But, you know, I have confidence in Belichick, you know, no matter what it is, as long as he's the coach, I think he'll figure it out. It might take a year or two, but he's very smart, as you know. Oh, yeah, he's the mastermind behind the mastermind chess match all day. For sure, for sure, chess, man. I mean, he's playing 4D chess, you're playing 3D. I mean, it's, it's basic, <laughs> as simple as that. Right. So, uh, so Alex, uh, I wanted to say thank you so much for being on this episode of Money and Markets with me. I really appreciate your appearance here. It's really great to have someone else's perspective. It's wonderful to have a conversation about financial markets, football, you know, real estate, all these different topics. So thank you so much for being here and I hope to see you again soon. You know, perhaps I can be on your podcast if you would be willing to have me as a guest. Oh, of course, Steve. It was it was my pleasure. And yes, we could we'll definitely have you on the Bear Down Bull Up. It's one of my uh podcasts out there um in the financial markets as well. So we'd be more than happy to have you.
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can people find your uh, Instagram at Bear Down Bull Up Podcast? Is that where it's located? Yep, exactly. And or you can go to my other personal Instagram at at Alex J Gaston, and that will also be on there as well. And you can get the link there below. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds good. Uh, if you'd like, I can put that in the description. But otherwise, I think we are all set here. Awesome. Uh, Alex, thank you again so much. I hope to chat with you soon. Thank you. You as well, Steve. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Money and Markets presented by Roman Finance. My name is Steve Roman. And once again, I would just like to say thank you so much for listening. I felt that my conversation with Alex went really well. We had a lot of fun. And I really hope you had fun and you learned something from listening to this. So hopefully I'll see you next week and take care. Have a great day.